This is The Bookshelf from NHPR. I'm Peter Biello. When Joe Hill launched his career as a writer, he didn't want anyone to know about his famous writer parents, Stephen and Tabitha King. Rather than ride their coattails, he wanted to find success on his own, thus the pen name, Joe Hill. Now, more than a decade since his first collection of stories was published, Hill is comfortable with publicly discussing his origins as a writer. So comfortable, in fact, that his introduction to his newest collection of short stories features descriptions of his early life with his literary family. These descriptions are one way of explaining how he came to collaborate with his father on two of these stories, one of which is being made into a Netflix film. The new collection of stories is called Full Throttle, and recently I went to Joe Hill's house in Exeter to talk about his book. Joe Hill, thank you very much for letting us into your writing studio. This Peter, is great. Thanks so much. It's great to talk to you. It's great to talk to you. This book has a variety of short stories, two of which uh, were co-written with your father. Yeah. Might as well start there because they're they're all great stories. But I was curious about how you went about collaborating with, with your father and how you might go about collaborating with anybody on a short story when it's typically a kind of a solo activity. Yeah, right. So Full Throttle is a collection of 13 stories and it begins and almost ends with uh, stories I wrote with my dad. Um, the first one in uh, the collection is called Throttle. And that story was actually written in, I want to say, about 2008 as a tribute to the fiction of Richard Matheson. Richard Matheson was a masterful writer of suspense, probably most famous for having written I Am Legend which is a vampire apocalypse story. And he also wrote The Incredible Shrinking Man. And of course he wrote a story called Duel, which became Steven Spielberg's first film. And it's about a man on the run from a faceless trucker. And I was invited to do a story honoring Richard Matheson. And the idea was we were supposed to take one of his plots and then give it a fresh twist. And I instantly had an idea for a story about a motorcycle, an outlaw motorcycle gang on the run from a faceless trucker and decided to write this story, Throttle. And at the time, I did not have my motorcycle license, and I didn't know much about bikes. And I intuited that I would have problems writing this story and making it authentic, because I, I just didn't know hogs well enough. But my dad has been riding a motorcycle since he was 17. And I asked him if he wanted to jump in and write it with me, and, and he said yes. Um, one of the things I talk about in the introduction is when I was a little kid... My dad got a video disc player, which was the forerunner to the DVD players. And one of the movies, one of the first movies he got was Duel, which we watched over and over again in, I want to say, the summer of 1981. And we'd go out for drives, and he would begin to pretend the truck was after us. And we would put on this whole sort of improv performance, uh, you know, imagining our escape from the truck and our eventual destruction. So in some ways, we actually began collaborating on Throttle um, something like, you know, um, almost 40 years ago. Um, and it was just the sort of natural culmination of this story we began imagining um, when I was a little kid. Uh, there's another story in there called In the Tall Grass. Uh, and um, that's about two people who wander into a giant field um, where the grass is over their heads and soon discover that time and space aren't the same in this field and that it's almost impossible to escape and that there are some very bad people in the field with them. Um, and we wrote that, I want to say, about maybe 
four years ago, five years ago, and uh, it's actually been adapted as a film for Netflix. Um, it was directed by Vincenzo Natali and uh, is out just after the book. So that's pretty exciting. That's great. It's really scary. It's really, it's like hereditary level scary. Is it really? Yeah, it's very, it's definitely, I mean, there's there's like fun, playful, scary, like I think of Wes Craven's first Scream movie or Cabin in the Woods by Joss Whedon. Mm -hmm. And then there's scary, scary, like It Follows and Hereditary. And this is definitely a kind of It Follows, Hereditary type thing. Well, so it follows the story pretty quickly. The story is pretty gruesome at times. Yeah, it's say. the short story is, the short story was almost like my dad and I having a gross out contest with was, each other. It's I a profoundly disturbing novella. <laughs> Uh, in some ways, the movie is more merciful to its characters. It's more hopeful, but it was a lot of fun to write. Oh, it was fun oh, to it was read. A blast, yeah. It was really fun to read. So when you're so when you're writing a story with, with your dad, yeah. Now, how does it go? Like, do you, do you agree on an outline and then start pounding out the prose? So here's how it goes. Imagine Wiley Coyote unpacking crate from Acme, and inside there's a giant rocket. And he lights the fuse and he climbs on it. And then the rocket breaks the speed of sound and blasts him after the Roadrunner. I'm Y.O.E. Coyote and my dad is the rocket. We wrote both stories. I think we wrote Throttle in eight days and in the tall grass in a week. I would write a few pages in the morning and send it to him. He would rewrite those, write a few more pages and send it back. And then I would rewrite his pages and write a few more pages and, and you know, and it would just, we would just play tennis with it. But the thing is, is so there was a, there was a game invented in the 19th century called Exquisite Corpse. And Exquisite Corpse was, the idea of Exquisite Corpse was you'd write a sentence and then pass it on and someone else would write a sentence and then pass it on. And you're actually, I think, under the strict rules of the game, you're actually only able to look back a couple sentences. I, I, but, but in any event, you know, when I was a kid, I mean, we were a book-loving, literary, nerdy family. And uh, it was a different era. You know, you didn't have so many different forms of distraction, so many different forms of entertainment. So one of the things we would do for fun is roll a sheet of paper into a typewriter. And my dad would write a sentence, and my mom would write a sentence, and I would write a sentence, my sister would write a sentence, my brother would write a sentence, and we'd wind up writing these goofy two-page stories. Um, and we did that for years. I think collaboration is a bit of a peculiar thing to do. Writing is largely a solo act, but it's different if I'm writing with my brother or my dad or you know anyone in the family, because we've done it before. Story is our family's private language. So you've been writing short stories for a long time now. How do you think uh, your short stories have evolved? Well, I hope I'm better at it. You know, I think I'm a little more daring in terms of the subjects I'll tackle. And like, what's an, what's a subject you'd tackle now that you wouldn't when you were starting out? Or, well, I was, and I was about to say, or the characters I'll base a story on. So, in my first collection, uh, my first collection came out in 2005. It's my first published book. It was called 20th Century Ghosts. It was 13 or 14 stories, but they all had young male protagonists. Most of them. Um, boiling with regrets and anger. And um, I wasn't looking too far afield from my own personality when I framed those stories. Um, in, in the new collection, for example, the collection closes with a story called You Are Released, which is about a group of people on a 777 flying from L.A. to Boston on the day World War III breaks out. And it, it, constantly, it constantly revolves its viewpoint. Um, there's, there's an elderly British actress. Uh, there's a, a young woman from South Korea. 
Um, there's uh, a woman who's a former, uh, formerly of the Air Force, who's a co-pilot. Um, uh, there's a right-wing Rush Limbaugh type. Um, and and you, I'm kind of rotating through this sort of, it's almost a kaleidoscope of points of view. And I don't think when I was younger I had the technical skills to leap into you know, such divergent points of view and hopefully portray them authentically and sympathetically. Um, so, um, so like that would be one, that would be one example, something, um, that I think, uh, is a little bit of a step forward for me. And you talk a little bit about in your notes about these stories, about, uh, at least one of them being kind of a cover story in the way that some musicians cover other songs. You know, it's interesting because in, in some ways the book is kind of, I opened with an introduction where I talked about growing up in the family I grew up in, you know, where I talked about what was it like to have Stephen and Tabitha King as my parents, and how did that shape me as a writer, and how did that shape my interests. I talked about uh, being a child actor in one of my dad's films in Creepshow, playing this little kid with a voodoo doll who uses his voodoo doll to get even with his bullying father for stealing his horror comic books. I spent a week on the set hanging out with Tom Savini, who was the godfather of gore, the special effects master who did all the bloody, gross-out effects for a creep show and Dawn of the Dead and Friday the 13th. And, uh, and later, a childhood, a misspent childhood, um, or, you know, a childhood misspent reading Fangoria magazine, which was all about guys like Tom Savini. It was like Sports Illustrated, only for gross-out special effects. Um, and, and, you know... You wind up writing stories that reflect your enthusiasms and interests and history where you're writing about, you know, uh, the cliche, you know, you're writing what you know to a degree. Um, I'm a big Stephen King fan, you know. I, 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 I love my dad's stories. I spent some years um, downplaying, putting distance, you know, um, using the pen name to put distance um, to create some space for myself as a writer and as an artist. But I love, I love my dad's works, and it's great to have an opportunity to celebrate, um, you know, how much I love those stories. So in Full Throttle, you get two short stories that I wrote with my dad, but then you also get a story, Dark Carousel, which is almost like a cover of a Stephen King story. It's an original plot with original characters, and but it kind of has the feel and the sound of some of my dad's short fiction. Specifically, uh, there's a story called Riding the Bullet about a kid who picks up a dead hitchhiker on a drive back from an amusement park. There's another one, The Road Virus Heads North, that my dad wrote that also feels a little bit like Dark Carousel. I even named two of the characters, or there's a brother and sister whose last name is Renshaw, and I named him Renshaw after a hitman in my dad's story, Battleground, which is also kind of like Dark Carousel. So echoes of your father's work, yeah, yeah for sure. playing around with those themes and tropes. And one of the things that, that your dad does really well, that you do well in some of the stories here, um, is, you know, the, the monster is not necessarily an outside bad guy, but it's... It's your, it's your, it's the character's own mind in a way. The torture that, um, yeah, like in 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 Dark Carousel, that last character is, is, is the last one standing. If I'm going to spoil it a little bit, yeah, is really tortured by what what's what he's seen. Yeah, the story takes place in a single night, but then it leaps forward to the modern day, and it's clear that it's not over. Everything that happened that night is still happening to him. He hasn't all that running, and he hasn't gotten anywhere. For me, any story, the goal in any story is 
uh, you're writing towards a point of revelation. So you have a character that you think is interesting, and they go through, they face tremendous peril. They're menaced in some way. And under the pressure of this outside threat, they discover things about themselves and we discover things about them that weren't immediately apparent, but which feel true, which feel satisfying, this satisfying discovery. And that's what I'm after every time I write a short story, anytime I write any kind of story, a comic book, a short story, a novel, a TV show, you're always looking for that discovery. Um, and usually when I sit down to write a story, I don't know when that discovery is going to come. It may come in 30 pages or it may come in 300. And if it's 30 pages, it's a short story. And if it's 300, I've got a novel. Are you in the middle of a project right now where it's pushing towards novel territory? I've got, a, I've got, I've got, uh, 200 pages of two different novels, neither of which I'm working on at the moment because I'm writing five comic books at once. I'm working on a set of horror comics for DC. So one is called Basketful of Heads, which is about a woman who's fighting off these home invaders. And she, her weapon is a Viking axe, this ancient Viking axe. And it turns out that when she lops someone's head off, the head keeps talking and thinking that in some way it doesn't kill people to decapitate them with this particular weapon. So that's Basketful of Heads. I'm working on a story called Plunge, which is kind of a riff on John Carpenter's The Thing. I'm doing a backup feature for the comics called Sea Dogs, which is about how we used werewolves to win the Revolutionary War. I've got Dying is Easy, which is my crime comic about the burned-out homicide detective trying to make a go of it as a stand-up uh, uh, comedian. Um, and I've been working on New Lock and Key. Uh, Lock and Key was a long-running comic book, or has been a long-running comic book that I've done with my um, collaborator, Gabriel Rodriguez, who's the illustrator. And that ran, for, that ran for seven years and in some ways is still running. It's about an incredible New England mansion full of enchanted keys. Every key unlocks a different door and activates a different supernatural power. Um, and, and, actually, and actually, Lock and Key um, has made a very sort of long journey to television, um, but will be out next year on Netflix as a 10-episode you know, series. So when your work gets adapted for the screen, are you heavily involved in that as well? I mean, it varies from project to project. I've been I've been lucky. I've had a, a few things, you know, go over. Uh, my second novel, Horns, was made into a kind of cult freak fest, uh, starring Daniel Radcliffe. In the Tall Grass is going to be a Netflix film, um, and then uh, my third novel, Nosferatu, finished its first season on AMC and was a TV thing. Um, and then there's Lock and Key, and of the four of them. The one that I've been most involved with was was probably I've I've had my hand in on each of them to a degree, but the one that I was really involved with was Lock and Key. I co-wrote the pilot episode, the first episode, and I worked pretty actively on all the scripts, had a hand in on all the scripts. Just as I have an amazing collaborator on the comic and Gabriel Rodriguez, I have an amazing collaborator on the TV show on Carlton Cuse, who was the producer and one of the lead writers on Lost, Bates Motel, The Strain. And Carlton is great. You know, he's been like almost sort of like kind of mentor to me. I love the guy. And did I hear you, you almost had a cameo in the second part of It? Almost. Almost. There is, Bill Dembro um, sells his bicycle to a junk shop, and then as a grown-up, he, he tries to buy it back. And it's, uh, my dad is, you know, when grown-up Bill Dembro goes into the junk shop, my dad is the dealer in there, and they had an idea to have me 
play younger him um, in the 1980s as the guy who buys um, the bicycle. But, you know, It Chapter 2 wound up being two hours and 40 minutes, and I, th- I think, realistically, they couldn't cram one more scene um, into the film. Now, what I think they should do, my unsolicited advice to Andy and Barbara Muccietti, who I love, they're great, great people, great filmmakers, my advice is Quentin Tarantino is taking Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and he's going to chop it up and deliver it as a TV series for one of the streaming services because he's got like a couple hours of material he filmed that he hasn't used. It would be much better than there's much more material there and it there is a feeling of something that could be a premium cable show and I I know that Andy filmed another hour and a half of great stuff that he'd love to use and my dad has talked about wanting to write a prequel a prequel 45 minute you know episode that would that would tell about how Pennywise um, sort of first appeared in the 1920s, and uh, I I think it's a natural for Netflix or HBO or that would just be so great they could take it chapter one, it chapter two, film another 45 minute episode as a kind of prequel, recut the whole thing and use all the extra material they have. Boom, they'd have 10 episodes. I'd even be willing to come back and film the cameo they want um, if they're ready to do it for you know Hulu or something. <laughs> well, that would be great. Yeah. Well, um, Joe Hill, thank you very much for speaking with me. Hey, it was great talking to you. That's author Joe Hill speaking to me about his new collection of stories, Full Throttle. You can hear my previous conversation with Joe Hill about his last collection of novellas called Strange Weather. And you can also find his top five reading recommendation list at our website, nhpr.org. Send us your reading recommendations. If you've got them, tell us the title and author and your best reason for reading it. Our email address is books at nhpr.org. You can also tweet us at NHPR Bookshelf. This is The Bookshelf from NHPR. I'm Peter Biello. Thank you very much for listening.